Hello, it's Fulhamish Podcast, your seminal guide to the razzmatazz of Fulham's promotion push. This weekend saw the end of Fulham's main performance with the encore ready to start in under a week's time against Reading in the playoff semi-final. But who will end up with their name in lights in the big Wembley final? I'm Sammy James, your host for tonight's episode, or should I say MC? tonight's episode and i have two showstoppers on tonight's podcast jack collins and ben jarman how are you doing i'm okay hello listeners <laughs> hello listeners i'm also very well thanks we don't know if uh, don betts is going to be turning up today uh he potentially is on route but it was his final uni uh, dissertation hand in so i think he's been a bit preoccupied today despite obviously uh, Fulham's impending playoff run. I think he's had a few other things on his mind. Well, yesterday was an away day, so Don might not be home yet. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, it was the end of the regular season. The 46 games are over, but fortunately for Fulham, there are two, maybe three more games left in this season, and how exciting it is. Uh, yesterday, uh, we went up to Hillsborough. Uh, looked to be such a big game. Uh, when we looked at it maybe a month ago, it looked to be a huge crunch match between two playoff chasing sides. In the end, it was the Leeds have screwed it up playoff party uh, and we all had a jolly good time and Fulham won 2-1 thanks to a brace uh, from Niskin's Cabano. Jack, what were the three word reviews for yesterday's performance, please? A lot of quite good ones, actually. Oh, um, nice. White noise, foreplay, all done. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, bloke called Farrell Monk. Um, he's never in, heard of him. Never heard of him. Royalty points required, which I thought was actually quite clever. Well done, well done, Farrell. Nick, Good for you, Farrell. at Blame Draymond, friend of the pod, Lord Ryan Tunnicliffe, extra special friend of the pod <laughs> after that. Um, and Jake Kelly with Hamble, Hamble, Hamble. Hamble! Which was uh, enjoyable, enjoyable. Um, Cabana Rama at the FFC fan says, Jack J. Collins is sound. Yes, uh, Jack met another one of his fans yesterday. I don't know where the these game. people get a picture that this guy's actually sound. If I you don't know. In real life, like we do, you'd know it's completely the opposite. I'm just a really lovely man. I've just gone too far down with Jack on this podcast. I can't. I can't not have you on now. Yeah, you've you've done. You've you've put yourself way in the mire. Yeah, you can't yeah. get rid of me now. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, I did spend a lot of time yesterday with Jack J Collins. Uh, went up to Hillsborough uh, on the train, on the Doncaster train. Uh, there were lots of Fulham fans on there, and as I said, the regular season is over. But Jack, the crunch time starts now. Yeah, it's about, you know, now it's about making it count and making it work in, in, in where it's crunch time. And, you know, we've seen Fulham provide many uh, an enjoyable experience this season, but actually it's come to the crunch now. And we've also seen that when it comes to a, a moment of when Fulham can bottle it, it, it has happened before. And what we would like is, is for that not to happen and to banish the memories of Atletico Madrid. We'd like not to be, as Rachel Riley described Spurs on Friday, bottle jobs. Did you see that? Yeah, a bit yeah. mad. She's got quite a lot of abuse, though. Like, I think that maybe she probably didn't deserve that. I think she was trying to make a point rather than, you know, get aggy. Yeah, she maybe could have chosen wiser her words, but yeah, I don't think the abuse was quite warranted. Uh, ben, it was a really convincing victory yesterday. It was an inform Sheffield Wednesday side. They'd won their past six going into it. But they had made 10 changes. Does that make yesterday's win irrelevant? 
Yes and no. I think um, yes in the fact that obviously we're not against their first eleven, which is more dangerous, of naturally more dangerous than the, than the reserve team. And their first eleven has got them to the point where they currently are um, now the most informed team in the in the playoffs. Um, probably the most dangerous side in the playoffs as well, um, aside from us. Um, but also on the other hand, it's really nice to look at the fact that we've got a win over what is essentially a promotion rival. Um, and I think of the way that we've done it as well with 653 passes completed out of 700 attempted. Wow. Um, that's some sort of domination. And on a pitch as big as Hillsborough, only it's a really good indication for should we get to Wembley. What did we make uh, of Fulham's side yesterday? We know that Carlos Carvajal made 10 changes to the Wednesday side, but Slav made some changes as well. And we were talking on the train about it. We agreed with pretty much every one of them that he did make yesterday. Yeah, 100%. I think that we put in our preview that we thought there was going to be a lot of changes rung, especially at right back, which we were all kind of expecting. I loved that he put Piazon in the 10. I really enjoyed seeing that experiment, and I think it worked quite well, um, which was a, a new one. And Cabano came in and obviously did all the bits. And uh, contrary to popular belief, I thought Chris Martin did all right up front. And there was a, there was a lot of people giving him grief. He did miss a, an absolute sitter, but he was offside. But there's a lot of people giving grief. I thought he did all right. Nothing, you know, too spectacular or... or he looks a little off beating. the pace. Yeah, a little off the pace, but, but, but held the ball out well when required, you know, and, and did, did all right for me up front. So I think that we we can be pleased with that. I liked Tom Kearney a little bit deeper. I thought that was interesting. I I also like Piazon in in that 10 role. I think his, his, his style differs so much from Kearney's that it's really um, hard to compare the two. Um, in that role, Piazon sort of seems to be an all-action legs everywhere sort of 10, whereas Kenny is sort of more languid, looks for the space, is a bit more agile 10. Um, obviously loved the introduction of Cabano, I think um, he's as good as any wide player we've got out there and it's such a luxury that we have someone of that quality on the bench. And as Jack says, having TC back that far was, was a really nice eye-opener. We kept possession astoundingly well just because of the, the way he played and the position that he, he found himself in consistently. And when when they went down to 10... Having Kenny in that position already uh, and bedded in sort of really helped our cause. Um, it's something that we've seen a few times um, when teams have really hunkered down and put 10 men behind the ball against us. We sort of drop him a bit deeper to, to orchestrate and uh, it kind of worked even against 11. Um, so obviously it's a very big positive and perhaps something that Jukanovic could look to do in those playoffs should we need it. But uh, arguably the most important player of the season was missing yesterday in our Norwegian god. Indeed, uh, but probably a well-earned rest for Steph Joe. He had that injury scare against Huddersfield. He came back for the Brentford game, but probably just safest to leave him on the bench when not really that much mattered yesterday. In that Brentford game, he looked slightly jaded and a little bit off the pace, so I thought it was a good decision to, to drop him. I think that we look a worse side without Steph in the team, and even though Kearney was very good just saying it's a nice option and a nice sort of... Uh, something that we can we can play on if we need to, but it's good that Steph's had a, some time off now, as as with Ryan Fredericks. And I think that you'll see, you know, Dennis Odoi played well there as well. But I think that ultimately both of those players will come in and and retain their places for the for the playoff push. I think if yesterday showed anything, it's the case of we go really sort of negative, well, not negative, but a lot more static when Johansson's out the team, just because he he's that amazing connector between midfield and um, the forward line and he just covers so much ground that it gives us a whole new uh, dimension to the way we play. I quite liked uh, in the second half when uh, Sheffield Wednesday went down to 10, uh, Kevin McDonald having a bit more freedom in the centre of the park. We saw him 
getting up the pitch a little bit more. Yeah, a bit of an interesting one for Kev. I enjoyed his like lung-busting run down the right-hand channel at one point. That was a, <laughs> a highlight of the day for me. Um, yeah, he was. You know, he looked to looked to open things up and, and to have a little bit more creative influence. And especially in a game with nothing riding on it, it's nice to see that that option is available and it's something he's generally considering. So, you know, it's it's just another dimension and another prong if we need it to the Fulham kind of attacking prowess. When I first saw uh, K Mac play in the. I hadn't seen him too much prior to the game against Newcastle and I thought, who is this sort of like lumbering, really weirdly shaped person that we've managed to buy over the summer and was totally taken aback by how technically brilliant he is and how he reads the game. And he's actually, for for a man that looks like he's lumbering about everywhere, he's actually quite mobile and actually deceptively quite quick. Um, so what a revelation has been on the whole as well. Uh, I remember early on in the season when he started really getting into the side and I must admit I wasn't the biggest fan of K-Mac straight from the off and my dad in particular thought he was awful for two to three games uh, but now he's changed the opinion on oh, I changed my opinion quite quickly but my dad took a little bit longer but now my dad really rates me sees what Kevin McDonald does it actually does sometimes take a little bit more watching Kevin McDonald to really know and understand his role in the side and, and and the sheer importance of it. Yeah, his role got simplified as well after those opening four, five, maybe six games. He went from playing that two-person pivot to just having a one-person one pivot in there. And it just, I think he tried to give McDonald too much to do. He being Jukanovic, obviously, tried to give McDonald too much to do, tried to make him run forward and get those long bursting runs that Johansson now does but also wanted him to do the defensive side of the work in tandem with Scott Parker. And if anything, it just made us really static and really predictable because n- none of them could do what Jukanovic wanted. And now the removal of Parker um, and the addition of uh, Steph Joe just changed us completely. As it's horrible to hear that, obviously, Parker's now coming into his final few games, but he's been such a good servant. Well, amazing for Scott Parker yesterday. He came on... Uh, late into the second half got an amazing ovation uh, from the 3,000 Fulham fans it was a really impressive travelling support uh, yesterday up at Hillsborough especially being a midday kickoff. and within 30 seconds of Scott Parker crossing the white line uh, Neeskins had had bundled it into the nets just so much influence just his influence scared Sheffield Wednesday into putting the ball towards their own goal I'm still not sure it's a Cabano goal I've watched the replay about 20 million times today and I'm just not sure. I think it comes off a Wednesday play at last. Can we clear it up, though? Because I've, I've seen a, a photo. F- I can clear it up. It was not Neeskins' handball. No, it's no, not. No, no. I also have a photo of it. Okay. That doesn't come off a Sheffield Wednesday player. Bit weird to talk about the second goal first. We normally like to keep things very ordered here on Fulhamish. Uh, but Neeskins loves a dubious goal, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He really does. He's... Um, He's famed for putting them in off other people. I think all of his goals seem to hit someone. So, well, there was the Dan Byrne one against Wigan. One against Forrest. And the one against Forrest That as didn't well. go down as his goal, did it? No. That was actually an own goal. That was naturally an own goal. Uh, but that's uh, Neeskins' sixth of the season, uh, including also his first against Wednesday. Um, that means including now including his goal against Leeds in this? No. <laughs> so technically, he could have had actually eight goals if you'd include the one against Leeds that went across the line. And I think it was a little bit harsh not to give him the one against Forrest. I know it was a big deflection. But it now means that nine players have scored at least five goals this season. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, we've talked about this before and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. It's just brilliant that we have goals from everywhere. And especially with the lack of a kind of 20-goal striker, which everyone says that you, you need to be achieving the 
top levels in, in at this level. Um, I think that it's nice that our goals come from everywhere and it makes us extremely hard to play against. And defenders uh, are confused when they play us because there's so much overloading going on that they don't know who to mark. And like, it gets to that point where like I think we just overload teams so much that eventually the ball's going to fall to a you know a white or red shirt in the area, and that'll be that'll be that. I think we're at such a big advantage because our wide players definitely know how to put the ball in the back of the net as well. I mean, Cabana, who's been unfortunately, um, some may say, a bit part player for this year, whereas Waden with that many goals is really positive. But we talked about Borough last season. Their top scorer was on something like nine goals, and I think that was Stuani. Their main striker barely even registered last year and they went up and they were still playing really exciting football. But we're the top scorers in the league with 85 goals. Um, we're playing some amazing football right now. And we're just, like, for want of a better word, we're quite blessed with the, the talents we have at hand, um, especially in wide and forward positions. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Going back to the beginning of the game then, uh, just having a look at the action. I know there wasn't too much riding on the game yesterday, but we might as well go back and, and analyse it. Yeah. Um, Sheffield Wednesday took the lead uh, through ex-Barnsley man Sam Winnell, who had a storming start to the season with Barnsley, signed for Sheffield Wednesday in January and uh, a signing that I think all of us would have been uh, very happy uh, to have made. But he yep. went and joined the attacking prowess uh, of Sheffield Wednesday. A uh, little bit of poor from Callas, though, to lose the ball in such a vulnerable position. and But then maybe a bit shaky defending from Tim Ream at the same time, not There's, to close him down a bit more. It's a really rogue move from Callas. And, you know, I know we're ball playing team and everyone likes to have the ball at their feet, but like it's quite unlike him to go on sort of... He does reckless things, but not normally like that. And it was a bit of a, a strange decision to go sort of barnstorming into the into the Wednesday half, <laughs> like, you know, after like 10 minutes. So uh, an odd one. It was a good finish, though. He was trying to do his version of uh, Prime Rio Ferdinand. If you remember when uh, he was playing back at the top of his game when he was captain in United, everyone was talking about how he should have been a midfield player because he was so good with the ball. But Callas was just doing his version of him and unfortunately... Ran into Kieran Lee. Yeah, well, unfortunately wasn't as good. But yeah, as Jack says, it's a great finish. And if we're going to talk about um, slightly erratic defending, can we just quickly have uh, 30 seconds to discuss how Scott Malone ran across <laughs> his own box with the football <laughs> whilst trying to clear? Scott Malone literally taking the mink out of Wednesday after like, at one all away from home. <laughs> it was quite mad though, but I think Scott Malone's always got that in the locker, just somehow pulling off the incredible actually, but you're not sure how it actually turned into quite a good bit of play it was obviously extremely erratic but actually taking the ball away and, and getting it out there was actually quite a sensible manoeuvre by the end of the end of it, it and obviously it wouldn't have gone down well if it had gone wrong but at the same time like it didn't I mean, he must have been watching videos of Napoli trying to play out of their own box in like passing sequences because he's clearly inspired by someone and it's not going to be us, the yeah, way exactly. we defended over the last couple of years. I think the podcast sounds a lot better to uh, Synthy Europop. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should add this in as a permanent feature. Yeah, exactly. That can be our new opening <laughs> tune. Oh, dear. For next season, I'm still looking for contenders for next year's theme. I think we keep it as is. Well, I think if you've got any suggestions, listeners, then send them on in. If you've written us a... Who wants to write us a song? There we are. I like Get the jazz. Pod at fullimish.co.uk. I, lo I love the jazz theme, but you've got to change things up from time to time, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to keep it fresh, keep do, it real. Uh, and then on the stroke of half-time, obviously Fulham then got the equaliser. Nice play from Dennis Adoy. Uh, and then a good finish from Cabano. Uh, probably the key moment of the match, though, was uh, Matthias being sent off for Wednesday. Uh, missed by Jack and I as we were too busy fighting the crowds to try and get a half-time Fosters. Um, Shock. <laughs> but 
Yeah, Matthias sent off for a fairly cynical foul on Sonia Luco. Uh, Carlos Carvajal actually thought it was a harsh red card. I can't see him having any complaints, really. He hacked him down. I can't see any complaints either. It's from behind, and clearly, if you look at the highlight, like... Luco's just mugged him off completely and the look on his face when he takes him up from behind is one of pure anger. Yeah, pure malice. Like, yeah, it's like pure malice. He's jumped in from behind. It, it, both both feet are off the floor, I think. It's I, a definite red. Even if it's not a red card challenge, it's the kind of intent that he's gone in there and there's absolutely zero attempt to play the ball. And, you know, that's also in an important game with important games coming up. It's the kind of challenge that could really hurt someone. And if you're doing that cynically with no attempt to try and even look like you're playing the ball I don't think that there's any complaints at all it's not it's not a nice challenge he's, he's, he's gone there to try and hack him down after being mugged off and I think that that's as simple as that you can't you can't do that on a football pitch I think if we go back to Adoy as well if you don't mind me doing that for no, yeah. a couple of seconds like the fact that he has barely played this season um, is really a testament to how well Fredericks has done when he's come back in and how undroppable he's been over over the past um, sort of like twenty twenty five games, and the amount that he adds to the uh, adds to the squad is is unbelievable. But yeah, Adoya when he's needed to has been absolutely amazing when he's come on. He's given us some real attacking threat. Looked really solid defensively as well. And um, what can we say for that back skill that he done against Newcastle? I mean, that was incredible in the lit, in the, in the very least. But. Do it again. Do it again, Dennis. <laughs> There's a video of him on the Fulham FC Facebook of him talking about the back thing today. I was thinking, yeah. God, he really is still dining yeah, out on the back thing. Yeah, but the thing is, he really downplays it. It was like, yeah, obviously I've done my little skill. <laughs> my little back thing. <laughs> <laughs> he is the suavest man in the Fulham team, I think. He comes He's to, such a hipster. He comes to training on the bike. <laughs> a fixie. Yeah. Yeah, fixie with one gear and uh, some some nice um, turtle spectacles. He's the Moritz Volts of the 2010s. Dennis Adoy definitely hangs out in like cafes that used to be warehouses in Dalston. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely does. And wears similar clothes to Jack Collins. That's not true or nice. This <laughs> <laughs> house is definitely powered by solar panels as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know he is. Only drinks green tea. So all the results then yesterday meant that Fulham definitely booked their place in the playoffs. Uh, I listened back to last week's episode and the amount of times I had to say pretty much we're in the playoffs, Mm. the amount of times I had to put the disclaimers in there just in case uh, Leeds did the 14-goal swing. Uh, But it was all looking fairly unlikely because we were given a hand from a current Fulham man, Ryan Tunnicliffe. What uh, a legend. Getting in on the action. I enjoyed singing the Ryan Tunnicliffe song again that came out. Quite, quietly and we, we all had a good old time <laughs> we enjoyed ourselves and Ryan Tunnicliffe what a man still doing bits it's a great goal you've seen it no he goes around the keeper he's like mugs him off I was like <laughs> <laughs> couldn't happen to a nicer team could it exactly it was also Rob Green and all his time wasting has become one of my least favourite people in the entire world mm. and the to go around him of all people imagine if you were playing and Ryan Tunnicliffe went around you you'd be like ah oh, just retire. It's a bad day. Like, I'm done by the fat guy on 11 aside at the weekend, isn't it? Bad, bad day at the office. And then the other results uh, from the playoff chasing teams, uh, obviously Sheffield Wednesday lost to us, uh, but Huddersfield missed the chance to leapfrog them. Uh, a really poor 3-0 defeat at home to Cardiff, who weren't playing for anything. I think Huddersfield might live to regret that because that second leg at home uh, would have been a huge advantage and have to have that second leg at Hillsborough uh, it's going to be really, really tricky for them. 
yeah, it's going to be a this it's going to be a difficult place to go now. On a you know, it'll be packed and it'll be a full on sellout, and they'll they make a lot of noise every Wednesday for you know uh, for the whole game pretty much. And I know it was a game where it was a bit of a party and nothing was really riding in it, but they made a fair bit of noise and they I, sing this loud. Steph Johansson. I did enjoy that at the start of the game and everyone's sort of looking at me like, why are you singing along with their song? And I'm like, well, I know what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) A few people did turn around and laugh when you shouted Steffi Hansen. I shouted Steffi Hansen with you. Yeah, we had a good time. Everyone enjoyed themselves. Oh, Sheffield Wednesday hate the flag. They didn't let the flag in. So that was disappointing. I had to put it in a little storehouse outside. Speaking of flags, did you see that brilliant flag that uh, a Fulham fan took in yesterday? It was uh, some ballot checkboxes yeah, uh, May Corbin or Slavisa and uh, he's obviously ticked Slavisa yeah well it, we, if you want to see it, it's on our it's on our Twitter page so yeah. um, have a look there it's a really good flag so shouts out to whoever made that twitter.com forward slash Fulhamish pod and then Reading went up to Burton Albion who uh, Jack said many times last week are already on the beach and turns out they were uh, but not didn't get it all their own way Reading uh, they Sailed into quite a comfortable lead. Uh, Burton got it back to 3-2, but then Reading did get a fourth goal and they've sealed that third place spot. In fact, because Sheffield Wednesday nor Huddersfield uh, did win, that meant that it was all academic anyway and Reading would have finished in third place. So we have a third trip to the Medeski Stadium this season. How excited are you about that? I'm so excited. Like I cannot wait to go to the Madstad again. This is something I found out earlier that they call it the Madstad. Uh, we'll go more into the Reading game in detail uh, on Thursday's podcast. We're doing a Fulhamish Extra, uh, which Special. is very, very, very exciting. We're going to um, hopefully actually be live from Craven Cottage, uh, Jack and I, uh, doing some bits. Uh, we're speaking to Ali from the Not The Top 20 podcast, uh, who really, really knows his stuff when it comes to the Football League. Uh, we'll also be speaking to a Reading fan, and hopefully some Fulham fans. It's going to be a really uh, interesting show, hopefully. Uh, so you'll see that coming into your feeds uh, on Thursday. Now, the reason I found out about uh, the Medeski Stadium being called the Madstad is earlier I was on BBC Berkshire. I know, drop that Name drop. time. I know, Big I was... Time. I was with two geezers called, uh, one was called Andrew and the other was called Tim. I think Tim is quite a famous correspondent in the Reading world. And I think they were trying to wind me up a little bit. They kept just twisting the knife a little bit and they said, oh, well, our record at the Madstad is great. And I was like, the Madstad? Really? They are very upset that no one's giving them the credit they deserve in this playoff charge. I don't really know why people are getting so bothered and Sheffield Wednesday are kind of the same. Like, why is everyone talking about Fulham? I was actually not sure I really want all the attention on Fulham. Well, it's interesting. Everyone seems to want to be the underdogs. And I think that that's obviously something that's really crucial because then it feels like you're not always on top. And I think that Fulham and Wednesday are probably favourites because, but for a reason, and it's because effectively they're the two teams who have played the best football out of the four you know, notwithstanding Huddersfield's sort of late collapse. Um, and I think that that makes, that makes it quite easy for people to talk about Fulham on Wednesday as kind of like straight in shoe-ins. But, you know, there, there's there's going to be a lot of people out to spoil the party, namely Reading and Huddersfield. But it looks like, I think I'd like it if I was a Reading fan that everyone was talking about Fulham. I'd be very excited and I'd want it to go that way. 
that uh, no one had any pressure on us and our, our boys were playing with, with absolutely no fear because it was like, well, if we lose to Fulham, everyone's saying, oh, they're the best team anyway. And just joining us in the studio now, uh, Dom Betts has arrived, handed in his final uni piece. Uh, congratulations, yeah. sir. Big day. Yeah, massive day. Huge day. Probably should have done it before this weekend. That probably would have been the best of ideas. But, you know, I got it in in the end, and, uh, yeah, last ever uni assignment handed in. How uni. was... Completed it, mate. Completed it, mate. <laughs> How was your weekend? Saturday and Sunday were interesting. Um, it took me till about today to sort of recover from Saturday night, but overall, great weekend. Uh, got to say, Sheffield's probably my favourite Northern night out. Stay good. I'd say Leeds gives it a run for its money. Newcastle. The problem is, whenever I've been to Leeds on like a Tuesday night, it's been when students aren't there. Right, okay. So it's a bit of a different night out. But yeah, no, Sheffield, having walkabout next to Popwold is one of the greatest things that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> well done to the Sheffield town planners for getting that so right. There we are. Um, Dom, Jack was just saying uh, before you arrived about how Reading fans should be happy that they seem to be the underdogs uh, in this playoff fight. They might actually have some mental advantage uh, by not being too overestimated in the playoff um, debate. Uh, what what do you think is the better? What do you think is the better mental position to have? Do you want to be like full of confidence, almost say the danger of being overconfident, or is maybe just being the uh, dark horses a better way to be? I don't think it really matters really going into the playoffs. I think it's it's not like the whole season's pretty much irrelevant. As I think Cabano said in his interview on Fulham FC TV that it's basically just a cup. Uh, cut semi-final now so however you've played over season they're third in the league so although they're underdogs they'll be expecting they'll probably be expecting to get a good result but then they can look back and they lost 5-0 at Craven Cottage and I guarantee they do not want to repeat it out on Saturday uh, evening or Saturday afternoon so I don't think it really it really matters whether you're an underdog or whether you look like you're the favourite because it's the playoffs and everyone knows anything can happen to the playoffs because I wouldn't exactly say Sheffield Wednesday last season were massive underdogs going into it. They were one of the, they obviously they were the form team going into the playoffs and they got to the final and obviously they got beaten by an absolute wonder strap by Modi Arme in the final. So I don't think even mindset actually really matters going into the playoffs. And it's going to be a bit of a scrabble to get tickets. That seems to be the theme of the day online. It uh, looks like it's easy enough to get yourself a home ticket. Uh, but only 2,000 uh, attending the Medeski. The key question is, Don Betts, will you be one of them? Might have to. Oh, he's gone back on his word. Yeah, but, you know, I, I just can get a ticket because, you know, 850, wait, 845 loyalty points for me, so... Jeez, guaranteed. Yeah. I just got to remember to buy it tomorrow. Yeah. I need to remember to do that. So is there, are, we, are we clear on the rules? It is one each? Yeah, it's one per scene ticket holder. Fair enough. And I think anything under, what, 500 loyalty points is looking difficult. Well, I reckon they're expecting it to sell out by Friday and then it'll, they just need it, they'll know it will definitely sell out on Saturday. I think apparently, that's the way they've seen it. Apparently they've got 2,000 um, season ticket holders on the database with over 500 loyalty points already. So it should, in theory, sell out before it even gets to anywhere near general sale. But that's if every season ticket holder that has over 500 loyalty yeah. points buys a ticket, which I guess yeah, Tuesday, not Tuesday night away from home is not always guaranteed. True. But And there's obviously been some great arguments on the Fulham <laughs> Facebook page this afternoon. Some of them are, a- are absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I think someone some argued really that things going on there. all season ticket holders, no matter how many loyalty points you have, should be the first priority. I didn't understand the point in that. 
I mean, a lot of people are arguing that a lot of away fans who go to a lot of away games don't buy the tickets through the club. They might buy it on the gate at the game, and obviously that doesn't count. So there's people who don't have a membership or may have a membership and not seen ticket and have gone to like maybe 20 away games a season. But obviously, sometimes it's last minute and they bought it on the gate and it's just an issue there. But I think there's no correct way of doing it. The Lord's Point system is a good... Is the way it's used is good, but the way that some of the points are allocated are sometimes quite strange because I think if you've got a scene ticket, every home game should just be the same amount of loyalty points and then the away games are the ones that vary. So a Tuesday night in Hull last, last season, let's say, that should be like the five loyalty points and then obviously the Reddings and the Brentfords, if they're on a Saturday, should be like the two points. But yeah, no one's ever going to be happy with... There's no way of pleasing everyone when you get a situation where 5,000 people want to go to a game where there's 2,000 in tickets. At the end of the day, there's going to be 3,000 people disappointed. Most will take it on the chin and just say, unfortunately, things didn't work out. But you're always going to get a a minority that um, will find ways to voice their displeasure. And if we win 5-0 at home again, people probably just end up selling their away tickets again. (laughs) I think it's important that like, when you look at it, and it's not... This isn't saying I don't think I'm probably not going to get a ticket in terms of like I just don't think it's going to get to the level where I am, and obviously that's sad for me. But also at the same time, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, people that go away more than me shouldn't have shouldn't have that priority because that's literally about it's about if you can demonstrate that you've done that. And there's a lot of people saying, oh, I used to go a lot. I mean, I don't think that kind of matters. At the end of the day, it's the people that have gone, you know, season after season have those and obviously have those like points and, and memberships and. It makes sense, and at the end of the day, yeah, I'd like to be at the Majeski. If I can't, it's, it's on telly. Like, like a three-year period or something like that. Yeah, and like so, if you've gone to all these games when we've been rubbish in the last two years, surely you're more worthy than someone who's just gone to a lot of games this season while we're doing well. I mean, yeah, I think, as we course. said, there is literally nothing that's going to please every yeah, single person because every single person wants a ticket. Yeah, that's it, and it, it, I think it comes at the end of the day that you've got to just accept that if you know you're not one of those people that gets one, and you know we're all trying, we're all going to try, and we'd all like to be there. But if it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. Like, and you know we we'll watch it. I'm sure me and Sam were discussing earlier. There's probably going to be a beam back at the cottage. Um, you know probably. there'll be there'll be things going on. And, Some sky anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, if not, Jack's back garden. Yeah. Set up a barbecue. Exactly. I mean, we'll have a lovely time. We'll have a really nice time. Very involved. That. Yeah. All round to mine. So we will. Touch a lot more on the Reading versus Fulham game, uh, the playoff semi final on Thursday's Fulhamish Extra Special Edition, which uh, myself, Jack, and potentially Don Betts. Yeah, should be fine. Uh, should be involved with on Thursday. Uh, Ben's too busy flying high, making deals. Making dollars, making, making deal. dreams. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there'll be lots more about the uh, impending playoff games. But we've got lots of questions uh, to get through between now and the end of the podcast. So uh, Jack is just currently firing up the post bag uh, as we speak. What's coming in, Jack? Um, we've got a pretty uh, basic one to begin with. Chris Martin to start against Reading, yes or no? Ooh. No. No. Yes. Yeah, I'd be tempted to say yes. He was... Before the Ipswich game and stuff like that, we were, we all said on this podcast how we think he is uh, one of the most important players in the Fulham side. I know we, how well we've done uh, without him, but uh, and especially given his performance in the uh, 5-0 game against Reading at Craven Cottage earlier in the season, um, I would personally go with him. On the flip side, I don't know how gutted I would be if he wasn't. I wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't be throwing away my ticket and I'm saying no. the ground. 
purely because since his suspension, we've had to, we've been forced to play that strikerless system. We're really moving now in a, in a forward direction with it. We're looking really comfortable with it. I think the fluidness of the front four or five um, really makes it hard for other teams to defend against. So much pace, a lot of power, um, and a lot of ability to put the ball in the back of the net is going to be really hard for Reading to defend against. Um, I think Martin looked a little bit off the pace, so maybe we can use him as a sort of like 75, 80 minutes. Chuck on, hold the ball up. Maybe. Yeah, I said, obviously Reading are a footballing side like us, they like to have the ball. I don't think he's as important as he would be against maybe a team like Sheffield Wednesday if he were playing their first string side. And also I thought that he wasn't exactly that great against Sheffield Wednesday. And I, f- I just want to get Cabano in the side and if that means taking out Martin, yeah. getting him in. Keep Cabano. Be fine. Keep Cabano. That question was from Lawrence Peterman at Lowerboy SW6. So I, we didn't name check him. So Cheers, Lawrence. Shouts out to you, Lawrence. Thanks, Lawrence. Tom Deasy at Tom Dees 36 says, if Fulham were to go up to the Premier League this season, where do you think we would finish? I'm not sure if he means if we were going up, where would we finish next season or if this Fulham side was in the Premier League now? I think he means next if we season. go up, yeah, next season, where do we finish? Completely depends on recruitment, I guess. But And it completely depends on how the other teams decide to play. I mean, <laughs> Open the floor to Don Betts. <laughs> I mean, like if I was going to, if, so we, if, I, it was gonna, if it was going to be, if we were in the Premier League this season... I think we'd be. I think something was. I can't remember who made a poll about it. Someone did about where we'd finish. Probably Miles because he loves. Miles a good, loves a he poll. He loves a good yeah. poll. I said ten to fifteenth, just because I think the teams at the bottom are absolutely dreadful. Yeah, like yep. there are some really poor. Teams. I would agree. I think. Um, I think they touched on it on match of the day last night as well. But this is something that I've always been thinking about this season: is that the the intensity of the way we currently play right now it probably outstrips a lot of what the Premier League teams can play out right. At this moment in time, you know, look at someone like Sunderland who can who barely kept pace with most of the teams throughout the whole of the year, um, and and then there's some teams down the bottom that really play some dire, dreadful, defensively minded football. And the way we come up and the way we play, um, we could pick up some really good results. And I think the, obviously the game against Spurs was a little bit of an eye opener, but they're a, they're an elite team now. There's no getting away from that. But we could Bowl easily. Jobs. The bottle jobs, yeah. We could easily uh, take points from anyone on our day um, just because of how open, expansive and quick we are. Well, it was a second-string side against... It was sort of a... Not a second-string whole side, but it was still a decent outfit that we should, you wouldn't be surprised if most of those players played in the Premier League and we mm. just took them to pieces and won 4-1. Yep. So, I mean, there's no, there wouldn't be this season no reason why we wouldn't finish Mattel. But next season, if we were to go up, as Jack said, it's all about the recruitment process and it's been proved to be a success this season bar the January loan signings of Syriac and Petzos which seem a bit pointless anyway but I mean they haven't really been bad they haven't really had anything to prove but yeah that, if we continue the recruiting process with uh, Craig Klein and what Tony Khan have done this season there's no reason why we just couldn't comfortably stay up next season get to the 40 points around by April, March basically what Burnley have done this season yeah. really yeah. just be formidable at home which we haven't this season and somehow keep up a decent away record like we have this season because I'm pretty sure I've seen more away wins this year than I have ever. any ever. In relation to this point, I remembered a, a question we got in a couple of days ago which is very much on this kind of thing from Lawrence Craven who said, are we confident that if promoted, our recruitment will provide enough depth in our squad that can play the Ikanovic way? I said we had no data to prove anything otherwise. Like we've got to believe in the system we have. Yeah, I even said it when everyone started complaining about it in September. I was like, I don't understand why you're complaining about a recruitment process because it was obviously still in August and we, we were still unbeaten. I was like, there's no signing that's been made so far that has been a bad signing. 
and uh, there was the whole debacle of you kind of wanted that Man United youngster. But how do we know he would have been any good in our system? Not at all. Well, he he hasn't been very good for Granada this season at all. So I think there's justification there, albeit that he is playing in the La Primera or La Liga, but that is a step above where where we are. But I'm not sure he would have fitted in either because he's he's not a ten and he's not a wide player. He's somewhere in between and he's not been great this season, as I said. So I think it's a good a, a good thing that we sort of missed out on him. What's but his name again, just for context? Andreas Pereira. Andreas Pereira. Yeah, so I, 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 I do feel like if we got up there, then we would buy the players that needed to play this way and that would have the su- sufficient quality, sufficient experience as well. I think half of it comes from the fact that a lot of the players that we were signing, a lot of our fans probably hadn't heard of prior to them being linked to the club and or signing. I mean, I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I know a fair bit about foreign football, as does Dom, but I'd never really heard of Cabano. I'd only heard of Aite in the last year or so. Yeah, the only reason I'd heard of Aite because he was on a stat of who scored the most weak-footed goals in yeah. the top five European leagues. It was a, squaw- it was a squawker yeah. thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the only reason yeah. I'd heard of him. Cabano I'd only heard of because he had a team season card on FIFA one year. Yeah, and uh, the only reason I'd heard of him is because he won Academ- like Academy Young Player of the Year in PSG and miles ago. But he, you still think about Cabano, he's only just turned 24 years old. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think out of the key players who he signed... The only ones people who have known of who obviously weren't from the English league would have been Stefan Hansen from Celtic. Even then, I hadn't really heard I of mean, him. I mean, Adoy I knew of because he'd been traveling, he played for quite a few Belgian teams. Yeah, I'd heard of Adoy. He, he'd do bits at right, bit, right back and left back. But apart from that, it's better signing players that fans don't know about, I think, because there's no pre, fans won't have preconceptions of these players. They'll just look at them from a clean slate. Whereas yeah. if we're signing these players from fellow English teams, you're going to think about that and I'll. How I've I've seen him play this well here. Whereas, if you watch Aite Cabana or whatever, you just watch a YouTube video and you don't actually know about the player or, or how well they can play. It's interesting because when we were in January, there was a lot of you know grief about the fact that we hadn't signed a striker. We need to sign a striker. We need to sign a striker. And then we signed a striker, and and like you said earlier, he's not really been part of anything. And it you know it goes to show that a lot of that you know, noise and, and blasting from people being like, oh, we haven't got enough squad depth, we haven't got enough. And we've said it at parts that the squad's small and it's a very tight-knit group, but, you know, that's that's worked for us this year. But we sh- we hear a lot of shouting about people being like, oh, we haven't done this, we've bottled it because we haven't bought a striker. And then the one that we do bring in hasn't featured. And you start to think maybe we should, you know, shut up and listen rather than making all the noise. On the other hand, though, I still believe Fulham have been very, very fortunate with injuries this season and yes we're lucky and Slav has done very well at making the strikerless system so that if we don't have a striker we have a secondary a secondary way of playing basically but had Fulham had some key injuries you know maybe let's say Steph Joe or or if Chris Martin had been out for the whole season and we were relying on Syriac who who has looked okay in bursts but I can see that maybe people were seeing worst case scenario and thinking we haven't got enough squad depth and maybe next season if we're still in the championship for example we may not get so lucky and I think that Fulham will have to have some more squad depth if they are 
really serious about maybe challenging for higher echelons of the playoffs slash automatic promotion because we, we might not get so lucky. But then you get players sitting on the bench and, you know, we're saying it to this point, even now with our small squad, we can't work a way to fit in all the players we want to be playing all the time. And, you know, we said it about Adoy earlier and Cabano that they haven't got maybe the runs in the team that they've deserved and that's with a small squad. But for every Cabano, you have a Thanos Petsos who clearly Slav doesn't, really right or we don't 100% know because maybe he just hasn't had the opportunities but when you make a signing you're still making a punt aren't you and a calculated punt yes. a guesstimate but for every Cabano really great signing from an obscure country and a, 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 not really an obscure country but you know what I mean a, a signing we hadn't heard of for every great one there might be one that doesn't work out we've got quite lucky no I think I think that's not luck I think the, the fact that most of these most of these players have come off is due to the fact that they're well researched and well, you know, um, and well documented. I think the lack of injuries isn't necessarily down to luck. Yeah, the whole the whole staff sort of background and setup that Slavisa brought in when he came in has clearly worked well. He must have implemented something so well and so critical in pre-season. It's lasted the whole season. I mean, I think I've heard that the dieting has changed massively at the club. What you can eat in the canteen and things like that. So I think a lot of the times. You look at the fitness and injuries isn't always down to just luck all the time. It's down to the system you have at your club. I mean, I know Wilshire did pick up an injury at the game at White Hart Lane, but he used to get injured every five seconds at Arsenal and he yeah. lasted a, a full season at Bournemouth. So Bournemouth could just have a better setup behind the scenes than Arsenal do. So, And when you look at injuries, like the teams who were behind us chasing the playoff, they didn't really have any key injuries in the likes of Derby, Norwich... Uh, Obviously, Leeds. Leeds lost their left back, didn't they? Charlie, yeah, Charlie Taylor. Ta yeah, and he refused to play on Saturday anyway. He's I mean, a good player, Charlie Taylor. And right, so good. I think, yeah, we were just good enough to make the playoffs. And we know on our day, if we could play like that all the time, we would have got automatic promotion quite easily. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. I think we've been really, really good with our with our injuries. And I think one of the players that we have, we've spoken about over the past few weeks um, being injured quite consistently is Aita who's missed around 15 games but he's still weighed in with numerous goals and numerous assists which if, if anything backs up the case that we've really really researched our um, signings particularly well and the only club that I can really think of over the past probably decade that have what that have worked their transfers and their signings so well and you can probably back me up here Dom is Sevilla and they've smashed it the, the last um, probably five six seven years in a row all of their um, all of their players have been um, very finely researched on a number of occasions um, by numerous scouts, and they've also had a t statistical analysis done alongside them to make sure that they can play um, in the manager's side and play he wants them to play. And I think only one or maybe two of them over that course of that period have have flopped, and for the majority of them, they've gone on to bigger and better things. And Sevilla are one of the most proficient clubs in terms of turning over money because of it. Well, yeah, if you look at they're always in the European places, and never, there's certain teams who've got into them in La Liga, then dropped out of them. Yeah, I mean, you don't and win three European Cups in a row by fluke, do you? Yeah, and I mean, the Europa League has proved when English sides have gone into it, they have not just completely just walked it. Yeah, definitely. and obviously when we were in it, we got straight to the final. But if you take the teams <laughs> of, if you take other teams without our caliber, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so like Spurs. How many yeah. times have they been in the Europa League for the last five, ten years, right? Yeah. And they've just done nothing. Well, we haven't produced a Champions League finalist for over six years now, so 
clearly not that good anymore, are we? Anyway, on to your next question now. Indeed. Um, Alex AJ Whiteford is a good one. Obviously, we want Fulham up. Hashtag Team Slav. <laughs> However, if another team was to win the playoffs, which of the other three would you want it to be? Huddersfield. Yeah, Huddersfield. Huddersfield for me. Yeah, I'd go for Sheffield Wednesday because yeah. it's nice to see a club of that stature back in. Reading, so we don't have to go back to the Mendeski? No. Just for a personal no, I level, I'd cho- go I'd, I'd choose Reading. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say Huddersfield. I like sort of seeing teams who haven't haven't been in the top division for, like, ages yeah. or who've never been in the top division get into it. I think it's just nice. See, I don't like seeing teams, you could argue with Reading, who are a bit of a yo-yo team. You keep going in and out. Again, Wednesday would be nice. It's nice seeing, like... A sleeping giant, as you, I don't, I don't really like awakened. You. Yeah, awakened. I don't really like the term sleeping giant, but it will be nice to see a big team. Back they are, they are a big club, and you go there yesterday, and you realise that it, you know it's a big stadium, big crowd, big atmosphere, and it it suits. It could suit Premier League football, Hillsborough. Everyone was very nice to us in Sheffield. Yeah. Everyone was very pleasant. So. Thank you, Sheffield Wednesday fans, for being, being pleasant. Apart from, there was one bloke in the uh, left-hand side looking at the pitch who spent the entire time, you know, making obscene gestures at the Fulham fans. I was like, stop it, watch the game. Like, as in, <laughs> as in turn around, you weird man. Uh, any more questions, Jack? This one's from Alex at Pure Power, who we speak to a lot, but he says... Regular questioner. Yeah, good, good questioning. And he says, not strictly Fulham related, but who would make your championship team of the year? Which I thought was a good question and a good, I think, talking point. Yeah, really great talking point. We could probably rattle over this for a, an entire episode, couldn't yeah. we? We have to keep it in check. But, uh, yeah. Dom? I think the first player who has to go in for me is Chris Wood. I know he's... Is, I know who scored didn't get him in because maybe he doesn't contribute massively overall, but I think you can't have a team of a year without having a, the go- league's top goal scorer, and I think that makes literally no sense. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, obviously, I put Anthony Knockhart in. Yeah. I think he has to go in. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making exactly a whole team. I'm just naming, I think, who have been the best players in the entire Yeah, I league. think that's the best way of doing this. We don't have to yeah, quite strictly uh, go. Tom Kearney, Fulham, I was trying to pick as many non-Fulham players. Yeah, as I could, but I think he's he's the only Fulham player who I think would definitely get into it. Aaron Moy. Yeah, I think he'd be the one in the centre alongside uh, Tom Kearney, Pontus Janssen at centre back. No, think. this is like a really odd thing that everyone's got this Janssen thing in their heads. It, you know who you know if we're going to put a centre back in that's kind of a bit rogue. My shout would be Harley Dean, who's had an absolutely wonderful season for Brentford, and I hate the man. And he's actually I just thought he was rubbish, but he's he's been unbelievable for Brentford this year. And out of the would you put any of the Brian centre-backs in? Yeah, yeah i put Lewis Duncan. Yeah, we, we like Lewis Dunk. We've tried to sign him about a million times. So we probably have to stick him in. Who would you put in goal is, is, is always a good question. Well, I think the, the popular answer maybe before yesterday would be people saying Stocko. David Stockers. Stockdale. Um, obviously yesterday's was an absolute clanger. Yeah, well, he, had, he had a howler against Norwich. Obviously no fault of his own, but... Um, yeah, that was a bit of a, a bad one as well. But uh, Carl Darlow has saved Newcastle on many, many occasions this year. He's been been particularly good. Rob uh, Green for Leeds has been very impressive as well. He got Just, rounded by Ryan Tunnicliffe. You can't have him in. <laughs> got, and Tunnicliffe stops. Yeah. And then he hits it straight away. He stops and then hits it in. Uh, I think Alex Smithies, if Alex Smithies hadn't played exactly, out of his yeah. skin a lot, then Rangers would have been relegated. Yeah. That was my no love, no love for Alex Smithies. No, but Smithies is sort of what Bettinelli was to us in the first season we went down. If he was in our team, I'd say we would be pretty much a lot higher in the playoffs because I think Smithies not fun fans where I like it, but I think he's better than both Button and Bettinelli. Oh yeah, hundred oh, percent. I totally agree. Going Smithies then? 
I think I'd put Smithies yeah, in. I, I think, think he's a, I'd think he'd be a I think going shot. for a goalkeeper at the top of the league is easy. It's too easy, isn't it? Yeah. If your defence have been that good, then you haven't really had to do things. Do you know who else has actually been quite good? Ali Al Habsi for Reading. Except you know what I mean? save against Brighton. Oh, it's just unbelievable stop. Until it comes to Martin's free kick. Okay, yeah, but like, yeah. <laughs> but his, have you seen his save from the weekend? Yeah. It's absolutely obscene. If you haven't seen it, he palms this effort onto the bar out of absolutely nowhere. It's, it's well worth looking at the Reading highlights just for that and Corley Woodrow's header. And some terrible bundles into the net from Reading. Oh, yeah. Reading scored four absolutely awful goals. Disgusting. We need uh, another centre back, a right back, a left back, and a left mid. Well, Ryan Sessignon's going to say that. We've got Harley Dean in. I refuse to put Harley Dean in. Ah, oh, but Harley Dean's been really good. He's a tosser. Yes, I'm, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I've lined it up as a 4 2 3 1 right now. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Tammy Since Abraham's probably worth a yeah, shout, isn't I he? thought. Yeah. Since when is it ever a team of the year done in a 4 2 3 1? Yeah, we're, con- we're cultural <laughs> here, Dom. We've got, yeah. we got Ben here, so I guess. It's a European team of the year. All right, it's going to go four-one-three-two then. Okay. So we need a left winger. He's his Cabana. Uh, Matt, Matt Ritchie has had a, a very good second yeah. half of the season for Newcastle. Yeah, but see the thing is, why should yeah, Matt Ritchie um, is he should be that good? Only thing up front, Jan Morgant. No, no, no. Uh, what Although, about, what about if, if anyone listens to the not the top twenty, um, there's a really interesting statistic about Camorgan's yeah, chance. They're like he scores really difficult chances all the time, and it's really, really weird. Like. All his goals come from like really difficult chances, and uh, which makes it is the sign of a, a good striker. Well, he did get seven and seven during the month of April. The hallmark of a good striker, yeah. putting the ball in from a difficult angle. Okay, centre back, right back, left back needed. Matt, uh, Do- Matt Doherty and uh, Yeardom of Barnsley are who scored. Yeardom is very good. I oh, was it Yeardom? <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was Yeah, Yeardom. he used to play for Barnet um, yeah. in the League Two like, last year. That is uh, who scored. Uh, Statistical suggestions for left back yeah, and right I like back. Do, I, like Doherty. Like Doherty. I yeah. I, that's a player I would like to Go see at him. the cottage. Yeah, you can't put Scott Malone in there because it's <laughs> in a defensive position. No, so. <laughs> the only one I'm surprised you haven't mentioned is your man, Conor Huran. Brilliant first half of the season hasn't really delivered since the turn of the year when he moved to Villa. Yeah. Um. So I think he 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 probably doesn't quite make the cut. Although I think he is still a wonderful footballer. Henri Lansbury had a good year. And uh, the other one is Charlie Taylor, who had a good year until he stopped refusing to play for Leeds. Why did he refuse to play? I don't know. Because Leeds are rubbish. What about Lascelles from uh, Newcastle? He's quite. A, I've I've mm. liked his performances as centre back. Again, a bit of a passion merchant, but is is an assured player. Yeah. Again, it's just I, when it comes to defensive-minded players, and I like to find them from the lower players, lower sort of teams in the league. But I, there's no issue I would have with Jamal Lascelles going at centre off. Dan Byrne, Wigan's player of the year. When I saw that, when I, saw that I literally just like, oh, that, is what, that, is literally, that is literally why I got relegated. Yeah, exactly. If your player of the year is a centre-back when you shipped that many goals, and you're, it's Dan going, you're getting relegated. <laughs> it was over 60% for Dan Byrne, player of the year. Passion merchant. So um, who, are we, who are we missing now? Centre-back and a right-back. Right. I don't really... When it comes to the full-backs, it's sort of quite hard because it depends what you're looking for in out of these... Forward. So you're looking for someone who's chipped in like like Scott Malone with all these goals and assists going forward, or are you looking for the one who's been I like Brighton's right back defensively because he's good Bruno. Bruno, Bruno, yeah, and, and I think Bruno could well. be given it. Bruno's a good shout. Bruno. Okay, so the Fulhamish team of the year for the championship is Chris Wood, Tammy Abraham, Matt Ritchie, TC Ten, uh, Aaron Moy, Anthony Knockart, uh, Matt Matt Doherty, yeah, uh, Lewis Dunk, uh, Jamal Sells, Bruno. And Alex Smithies. Good. Well Sound. Done, everyone. Well uh, done. I think it's time for one last question, Jack. 
Our last question in the phone bag is from JT Gwadz or Gwadzilla on Twitter. He says, You have butchered his name. Well, can you say it? G W O Z D Z I L A A. Gwadzilla. What? Call him Gwads. Uh, Gwaddy. Gwads. Gwads fella. G-man. He says, I'd love your perspective on the role that the Khans have played this season. Face their share of criticism. How much credit should they be getting? I think it comes down to... I almost certainly comes down to the Khans in, in one way or another. It comes back to them. Because, obviously, the investment comes from Shahid. And the scouting and the player development and all that goes with it comes from Tony. Um... Yes, at the start, having this both boxes ticked um, methodology of, you know, getting players in is incredibly frustrating because you sort of just want to sign a player and be gone with it. But this fine-tooth comb approach has really helped us on the pitch um, and the redevelopment of the academy coming from, obviously, from Shahid's own pocket is really going to help us in the long-term future. And we talked a few podcasts uh, back. Um, I don't know if you will have the clip on file, Sammy, but it's just a case of us saying that a, a, a massive win for us nowadays is having a transfer go out where we make a huge amount of money on it. And we're starting to see them happen now. And we'll probably see it happen in a couple of years with Sessegnon as much as it pains us to say it. But um, I think our progression this year is um, is twofold. Firstly, it's down to um, the Khans and what they've done for us on uh, in terms of getting the players in um, and getting the right ones in that play the right way for um, the right man, which obviously is Slavisa. And um, you can get all the players in you want, but you need someone to mould minds, and Slavisa is that moulder of minds, and he knows how he wants to play football, and he's, uh, his record speaks for itself. Um, there are comparisons going around on Twitter now of our last 15 games of this season versus Watford's 15 games when he got them promoted, and they are almost identical. The guy knows what he's doing on the pitch um, and the Khans know what they're doing off the pitch and I think this constant barracking of them um, not investing enough and um, not wanting club to move forward is completely unjust and basically bollocks. I think a lot of that has slowed down in recent months and I think I think that's uh, credit to the fan base to change their opinion uh, but mostly it's credit to the Khans and I think a very sensible move was appointing Tony Khan and I don't really know what job role they're calling it, chief of football, god of football, whatever he wants to call himself. Yeah, sorry. Um, (laughs) But he's added a public presence to the Khan's influence. And you see the problem of, you know, these lots of foreign investors come in. You see the Venkis at Blackburn and they got relegated to League One, the first uh, Premier League champions to ever play in the third division. Well, was it Forest? Um, yeah. And the Venkis haven't spoken to the media. They haven't spoken to the chief, cor- the, um, the lead correspondent for sport at BBC Lancashire since 2010. It's... It's madness that, that those clubs are... And the same happened at Leighton Orient, the same is happening at Coventry City. There's a lot of cl- proud old football clubs being absolutely run into the ground, and, and it's, it's disgrace. This, it's the distance between the fans and their owners because these owners sit in some office tower somewhere and are too distant. Yet Tony is bridging that gap between his father, who's clearly a very busy man. He owns two uh, major sporting clubs and obviously he has lots of businesses in the automotive industry. And Tony's there as the public face of it. And Jack showed me the Instagram yesterday that he posted after the Brentford game. 
Uh, and yeah, it might have been a tad dramatic, but you know, he's he's going on there saying it's the greatest day of my life, and that's nice to see. Well, it must be. Uh- like he's worked so hard to get us where we are now yeah and the amount of abuse he got on the transfer deadline day in august was just it was horrible it was quite eye-opening actually some of the people you think you would never come out of their mouths was was popping off on twitter really but it's very easy to have a go against the rich man and especially the rich man's son yeah it's gonna be an even better day of his life when we win the playoff final isn't it so i reckon he's gonna streak Right. So. Imagine if he led the fans in a pitch invasion. Imagine the skis. <laughs> Crowd surfing along the Wembley pitch. Dom, uh, any thoughts on the credit I mean, that the Khan's... Khan's he's, he's had a lot of stick ever since he came in in 13, 14. And the current... Not, you can't say... I wouldn't say demise of, the, of Fulham. It was all down... It was already written in stone, in stars, really. Because yeah. what the amount of uh, LC Alfair was saying up, he wasn't investing at all. So... Yeah, I think Khan got a lot of unfair criticism. And I mean, we you take obviously what Tony Khan's done this season has been brilliant. Because, yes, Slavisa has done really well, but all the money that Slavisa has done, all these are all paid by Khan. Khan has to employ them. And also, you, you have to look at what um, how much Shay Khan invested in Motswell Park, mm-hmm. that total redevelopment of our training facilities. And we're seeing a lot of what Hugh Jennings did when he came in, or not when he came in, even what happened in the, when Coleman was still manager, where we decided we need to improve our youth system. And we've got a lot of players who've come for our youth system now who've been, who are playing in decent level leagues, and that just didn't happen yeah. previously. And so I think, although that's not really, that wasn't obviously down to Khan, that was down to Alfred under Coleman, I think this season the Khans have been exceptional, really. Yeah, we talked about Forgotten Fulham earlier on this year as well. And a lot of those players have disappeared off the face of the earth. You look at a lot of the players that are playing now um, up and down the leagues, and quite a few of them have come through our academy. Um, so if anything, that's just basically like bearing fruit that we are doing the right thing. And obviously we've had Pat Roberts come through as well and go for some big money. And unfortunately we didn't get m- much, if any, money for um, Moussa Dembele. But hey, everything um, is getting some... And should we go back up, unlike our last time in the Premier League, where actually for much of the 13 years we relied on journeymen and, and to a great deal of success at some points, you know, the the Europa League team was full of journeymen. Um, but I think if we did go back up this time, time, it would be a very different Fulham side and setup to the one we saw in the Premier League last time, one uh, made up of lots of fruits of our own labour, yeah. uh, a very youth-focused side. And I don't think it's going to be the same Fulham that many teams saw a lot previous, of our signings in the previous in, era. Yeah, a lot of our signings in um, August and then in in January were were younger, and we're obviously going to get something out of the out of most of them. Um, I'd be surprised if we don't get something out of the likes of Cabano, um, and hopefully if we get Piaz on in on on a permanent, like we can get something out of him as well. Um, I also think that like I I read some. Back to Dom's point about our fired, I, I read a, a journalist basically saying that if you don't um, keep your car um, well looked after, uh, a lot of parts are going to go wrong at, at the same time and it's going to take you a lot of time to, to get that car back up and running and that's how it felt with Fulham. Like It wasn't invested in for, for years. We weren't getting in younger players. We were signing journeymen. Um, like The midfield partnership of Karagounis and Sidwell was just laughable. Hey, that axis was um, solid. It was. It was about as solid as... Jelly, and, and then uh, and you signed neon back. lights in Dimitar Berbatov, and now we're back. 
with a with a good team after some years of putting trying to put everything right and a, a big amount of investment. So I'm fully on the the Khan. Well, even you compare camp. it to last season, we had a midfield pivot at times of Jamie O'Hara and Ryan Tunnicliffe, and now we've got Kevin McDonald and Stephanie Hansen. I love I love Tunnicliffe, but that <laughs> isn't going to get you anywhere above the fattest midfield pairing in the world. That's really mean. Ryan Tunnicliffe <laughs> has a hell of an engine. True, though. Well, the future is bright, and uh, the immediate future is very bright as well because uh, we have a playoff campaign uh, to come up in the next few weeks. Uh, make sure you're listening to Thursday's special Fulhamish Extra uh, as we'll do an in-depth preview of the uh, playoffs and the Fulham versus Reading game, uh, the first leg at Craven Cottage. And then we'll be back for a normal regular podcast uh, this time next week with a review of the first leg against Reading uh, and and with a nod forward to that second leg at the Medeski Stadium. Indeed. We've uh, one last admin shout-out. We um, A Fulham fan got on the old Sport Bible and Lad Bibles today um, with quite an amusing tweet. So, Ivan Berry fan on Twitter, at Bettinelli, but with an X instead of an E, I don't know how to describe it elsewhere, says, hate when girls put who's up on their Snapchat story. Newcastle and Brighton are confirmed and the playoffs haven't started yet. Which I really did enjoy, I and mean, it's got it's got it went viral. So shout out to a Fulham fan going viral today. Um, his uh, profile picture is Marcus Bettinelli uh, with Ivan Berry, pitch announcer <laughs> Ivan Berry's face uh, photoshopped onto it. Uh, if this guy that is running the Twitter account is listening, I actually sent uh, that picture to Ivan and said, "Saw this on the internet, mate. Not sure what to think." Uh, he was a big fan of it. He likes it. Ivan loves you, mate. Ivan's, Ivan's a big fan. Uh, I think he think I think he thinks he's made it now. Yeah, he's, that's he, it. He's, he's got a fan. He's got a fan account. I've got a fan. You do. You yeah, have George. many fans. We've met. We've shout we out keep, George Rossiter. We keep, um, keep coming up to me and telling me that I'm a great bloke. I've, I've really enjoyed that. Uh, back to your secretarial duties for a minute. They bring you back down to earth. Um, have you got a title for today's podcast, please? I think we'll have to uh, give the old nod to Farrell, especially he's not here, and use his. Royalty points required. It was a key point on today's show, I think, the debate over loyalty points. So, uh, royalty points required, it is. Very nice. Actually, took me uh, a few minutes to get that one. You told me that one earlier. I was being a bit slow. Well, it is a, it's a day after. It's the day after the night before, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. So, uh, Fulhamish will return on Thursday. Uh, make sure you're subscribed and you'll get that into your feed as an extra, extra gift from us to you. Uh, in your podcasting ears this week and uh, the rest of us will be back on Monday after the Reading game Um, hopefully we will be celebrating a Fulham victory and we'll be feeling comfortable ahead of that second leg so Jack thank you very much thank you Sammy Ben thank you very much thanks Sammy and Dom thank you very much congrats again uni is over for you yeah no problem as always toodles